Combo Nation. Do they hear us now? Good. <laughs> what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 216. You heard that right. Episode 216 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. Don't forget to rate review and smash down on that subscribe button right on your apple podcast app or wherever you listen to combos court today's show john gassaway of espn joins in to talk college basketball a great conversation with john can't wait for you all to hear it you can find john on twitter at john gassaway that's j-o-h-n-g-a S-A-W-A-Y. You know you can find me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. ESPN College Basketball Analyst. Welcome to Combo's Court. How are you feeling today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Anytime. I wanted to start with your book, Miracles on the Hardwood. Uh, tell me more about it. It's a history of Catholic uh, college basketball. Uh, it starts way back in the day with uh, DePaul and George Mike and then goes all the way to uh, Obi Toppin and uh, covers everything uh, in between. So it'll come out in March and uh, I'm excited about that. I I, uh, I was listening to a, a interview of an author of a book. I have no idea what it was on NPR this morning, and she said, "I'm excited to get my book out there and and get my ideas and start the conversation." And I thought, "Wow, yeah, that's what I should say." So uh, I'm going to try and remember that and say that in March. But uh, available for pre-order now wherever you go online for your books. Uh, give it give it a look. Nice, nice. You know, you mentioned Obi Toppin, and there was a time when the best college basketball player would probably go number one. Uh, I think of Glenn Robinson. I think of so many others. But uh, do you feel that Obi Toppin's a little bit lower on a lot of mocks and big boards than he should be? Well, he's uh, he's he doesn't have the uh, required level of youth that has become mandatory uh, for the very, very top of the draft. Uh, trying to think of counterexamples, um, but you know, there, there's been an occasional sophomore that's, that's gone high, but uh, they really feel, they being NBA front offices, uh, they really feel strongly about that. I'm not saying they're wrong. It, it has to do in their minds with the uh, value of the pick itself and uh, uh, actuarial tables <laughs> projecting out going forward for a career. And we in college basketball don't have to worry about that. We'll take our performance wherever we can get it. And whatever you're doing on the floor for that finite amount of time uh, is great. So uh, this this has been the source of contention for as long as I can remember. Seniors going lower in the draft than than the fans of that team want. And, uh, you know, to to quote uh, The Godfather Part Two, this is the business they have chosen in the NBA. And, uh, you know, they've, they've got a wealth of experience and data to look at. So I, I don't gainsay them, but uh, Obi Toppin's pretty good. I will say that. 
All right. So, John, let's shift to this college basketball season. And I'm not even talking about gameplay right now. I'm just talking about how do you think this season will look in terms of logistics and everything else? Yeah, I'm very concerned based on what we're seeing with college football. And I have to admit, I've been watching college football uh, logistics, not actual games, uh, more closely than I have ever because I don't really watch college football. But I'm extremely interested in uh, their degree of success or lack thereof in pulling this off during a pandemic. Uh, I think you'd have to be concerned based on uh, what we're seeing on the football side. Obviously, there's fewer uh, bodies uh, to account for and fewer points of of jeopardy in terms of exposure with with our basketball uh, sport, that's a good thing. Um, But we can't really do it NBA style. We just, we can't. For one thing, we've got 350 some teams. Um, We we can't, and for another thing, these are nominally uh, college students. And uh, uh, so I am concerned. Um, I do want the NCAA tournament to happen. I do want a critical mass of regular season games to happen. I'm very flexible on how many uh, games that needs to be. Of course, the NCAA uh, rightly lowered the minimum number uh, drastically so that you can get in the tournament uh, with playing a very small number of games. That's great. Uh, But we're just going to have to stay flexible and see what we can pull off. I'm fine with uh, a small number or even uh, zero non-conference games, for example, uh, if that's what it comes to. I I firmly believe that we can be fair in selecting a a field uh, with at-large bids that does go to 68 teams, even with a reduced number of games. And we can can get into that if we want to about how that happens. But I, I feel strongly that you know, we can do that and we can make sacrifices during the season. And then if it's safe and possible health-wise, I would love to see a 68-team tournament. I'd be very willing to cut, you know, way down on the number of venues where that takes place, you know, whatever sacrifices we have to make. But it would be really nice and a, a shining beacon of normalcy I, I take my hat off to what Major League Baseball did and what what uh, what uh, the NBA did, but um, it would be so wonderful to have a 68-team college basketball tournament in the month of March. Um, that <laughs> it would do my heart good. I think it would do the hearts of many uh, sports fans generally good. And uh, if we could have a real March Madness. Uh, even if there are few or no fans in the stands, um, that that would be great. So that's where I'm putting my hope. And I'm, I'm willing to make a lot of sacrifices between here and March in terms of what we see during the regular season, just to keep everybody safe. Yeah, I think a bubble for the whole college basketball season is unrealistic. But do you think that could happen if we say, let's get to 16? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I loved, you know, this is ancient history, but it was a couple of months ago. Uh, the coaches of the ACC were saying, well, let's have everybody in the tournament. And my, uh, my colleague, Joe Lunardi, did the math. <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. <laughs> the, the, the tens of thousands of people that would be in this bubble, you know, it, it's, it's not like the NBA again. So, uh, but 16, yeah, now you're, now you're talking. Um, I, would, I would like to see us, uh, you know, get to 68 
if if we can. Um, you know, 16. Uh, ironically, that's you know back in the when the NCAA tournament started. Of course, they had like eight teams, um, but we're we're a long way from that. And uh, let's let's hold out hope that we can have a uh, a full strength, full scale uh, NCAA tournament because. That's what we spend all of February talking about anyway, and I'm I'm biased. I'm the guy who writes Bubble Watch, but right. uh, but Bubble Watch does pretty good traffic. I mean, people are interested in that. You know, who's yeah. going to make the tournament? And I know uh, from the feedback I receive from you know the the fans of the teams at the top, they often feel like you know who cares? You know, who cares who the you know who the last at large team is? You know that that team's not going anywhere anyway. Uh, people do care, believe me. Uh, my team's been in that position, and I care. So uh, it would be nice if we're having that discussion instead of you know it would be a very different matter if it's sixteen or even thirty-two teams. Uh, you know those are especially sixteen. My gosh, I mean that's. Yeah. That's the creme de la creme. I mean, that would be a very, very different discussion. So let's cross our fingers. Uh, we don't know. I don't want to do anything reckless or unsafe, of course. It's just sports. Uh, I was amazed last March how, you know, me of all people, I mean, this is my job. And I, I found myself on social media saying, you know, stop, don't, <laughs> don't do the NCAA tournament. Never thought in a million years I would be in that position. Uh, I don't, I don't want to be again, and maybe we can make it so we're not. Yeah. You know, bracketology, bubble watch. I've had Joe on the show. Great conversations with him. Yeah, yeah, we want yeah. We want to, we want to see, we want to see all that stuff, but we want it to be safe as well. This is what we do. Yeah. 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 All right. So, so how has COVID changed the recruiting landscape of college basketball? Uh, I'm going to plug my website. There's a great uh, article up there now at ESPN.com by my colleague, uh, Jeff Borzello on the basketball side. He collaborated with another very talented colleague of mine, Tom Van Heron, on the football side, and it answers uh, all those questions. But if I could summarize them briefly, um, it has uh, thrown everything into the air. Uh, it's not the same, uh, obviously, in terms of player evaluation. It's not the same in terms of the, the net that you cast. Uh, there are some gems out there that are going undiscovered. Yeah. Uh, that happens during normal times, of course, uh, but now uh, the ratio is even more uh, off. And uh, we know <laughs> that we're not doing as good a job at uh, catching everybody who is, you know, what, whatever your favorite term is, a late riser or whatever you want to call them. Uh, they blew up late. Uh, we're not catching those people. And I'll cite another, uh, so that's, that's on the, the qualitative uh, side of player evaluation, but I'll, I'll cite a more uh, mundane thing. Uh, I think that we could, uh, it, it's a lot different, you know, uh, the two of us doing what we're doing than you actually having me over to your house. And the recruiting parallel is it's a lot different doing a Zoom with a guy and saying, oh, you know, he seems like a good guy. Right, right. Actually having him on campus. And I'm going to cite a particular program, not because they're so different, but just because I, I know this is, you know, one thing they do. Uh, if you're a recruit at Gonzaga, for example, um, you know, and you're really doing the full uh, there's no pandemic. You're doing the full campus visit in addition to sitting down with Mark Few and in addition to sitting down with the assistants. One thing they do is a current player, you know, uh, 
drives you around or visits with you or whatever. Right. And then just sits you down and says, okay, you know, I'm a current player, you know, ask me whatever you want. You know, I'll, I'll tell you uh, anything about the dirty laundry. Not that, you know, Mark Few seems like the least dirty laundry guy in the world, but I'll just, I'll just give it to you straight. And that's an opportunity for the player to know the recruit and then, you know, possibly go back to coaches and say, yeah, he's great. Or, you know, no, <laughs> um, right. that's not happening. And that's not happening at programs all over the country. And, you know, this guy just lands on your team. We could see an uh, even higher number of transfers down the road uh, than what we're used to uh, due to quote unquote bad fit. So it has ramifications all over the map. We've seen the analytic movement change the NBA game so much. Have, have we seen that at the college level? Yeah, teams are shooting more threes. Um, there's, uh, uh, I like to use uh, one crude uh, but reliable proxy for what's the NBA doing versus what the, the uh, college game is doing. And I've, I've actually thrown this up in, in uh, classrooms. It's just three-point attempt rates. And uh, yes, it's a tougher line in the NBA, but still, uh, it's, a, it's a handy little marker and there is about a two-year lag uh, or even one-year lag between the NBA saying, yep, this is the way to go. We should do this. Uh, college coaches uh, culturally, uh, by their very nature, tend to be more traditional. Yeah. Uh, we can talk about why that is. Ten years are longer. Ten years are longer, for one thing. Uh, I don't think there are any NBA coaches who have been in their current positions as long as Jim Beheim and Mike Krzyzewski have been in theirs. Uh, that is not to say those two guys in particular are traditional, in some ways they're not. Uh, but it is just in the DNA of college coaches to be wary of something novel. Let's not forget college coaches fought the uh, shot clock for decades, uh, tooth and nail, uh, ardently. Uh, they did not want it. Um, they fought the three-point line for years, not decades. So there is a lag, but uh, analytics has, has landed uh, with both feet uh, <laughs> in the college yeah. game. Um, I know that, you know, uh, I am uh, contacted uh, steadily. I know that colleagues of mine, uh, whether they be Ken Pomeroy or Jordan Sperber or whomever, uh, they're, they're doing good businesses at, at their shops, uh, rightfully so. Um, and as a guy who's been writing about this for 10 or 15 years, it's been uh, encouraging to see the evolution. When I started, I literally had assistants contacting me saying, uh, <laughs> over email, in effect, whispering, uh, my head coach thinks this is nonsense, but what do you think about, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell him I contact you. Uh, I, that doesn't happen anymore. And of course, you know, I mean, once a year, there's still a head coach who's like, I don't need any, you know, in a very public way. Uh, and then he gets descended on, on social media. But, um, you know, that's, that's that head coach's right to, uh, to do that. I, I, but it's, it's been, uh, it's been heartening to see the evolution. And it's in many ways, it's, it's gone faster than I could have expected. You know, the RPI is dead. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I've really got uh, any uh, major complaints at this point. 
John, I'm of, I'm of the belief that you're either getting better or you're getting worse, no matter how good or bad you are. Uh, what things would you like to see college basketball do to improve the flow of the game or just get, things that have to do with gameplay? I mean, we talked about logistics and off the court stuff. I'm talking about what would you like to see the NCAA do to improve gameplay? Yeah, um, I've, I've got two major initiatives. And if, if I can uh, drop in my book just one more time for a quick plug. Of course. Uh, when I was writing the chapter about Loyola Marymount's 1990 season, when famously they averaged averaged 122 points a game. And I just thought, what a, what a beautiful way to play, you know? Right. And, uh, and the, the key to that system was just having the 10 players on the court, you know, dictate the action, basically, if I may be so brief, and just keeping the three officials and the two coaches more out of it. Uh, in that same spirit of trying to get the five adults out of the way <laughs> and letting the 10 uh, athletes do what they do, I would like to see uh, fewer timeouts. Um, and I would like to see uh, 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 a, a proper understanding of uh, my, my pet peeve on officiating and everybody's got theirs. Mine is, uh, I don't think that every shot launched in the paint is necessarily a violation by the defense. It, it, it drives me crazy to see, you know, star player X just put his head down and drive into the lane and get a wild shot up and, and make his arms and legs go akimbo it's a whistle you know the, the defensive player is allowed to defend and stand there uh if we had fewer whistles of that kind and by all means many fewer timeouts uh particularly at the end of the game uh that would improve the flow and i can cite chapter and verse from my favorite ncaa tournament games where it just you know, the last two decisive minutes just flowed without stop. That's what we all want. I think we can agree on that. You know, I mean, yeah. that's, that's basketball. That's, we want the game of flow. We want something 100%. like the Premier League. You know, we don't want to see people standing around and talking. And I don't think, I, I mean, I'm sorry if these ideas aren't revolutionary or particularly novel, right. but we're not doing it. So um, that's, that's what I would like to see. And uh, there was a time in the college game where during a timeout, the players weren't even allowed to talk to the coach. You know, they just they just stood. Yeah, yeah. Buy my book. Um, <laughs> uh, they oh, just stood out. They just stood out on the court and and rested. And when timeouts were when coaches were first told, okay, you can talk to players now, they literally didn't know what to do. Well, what do I do with this? Uh, you know, do well. Um, I think we could get back to something approximating that, and I think it would improve the the flow of the game. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the players would like that. I mean, all players. You want you want to you want flow. You want to play. You don't want and stoppage you, all the time. You know. If you look at the board expressions of players in timeouts being talked at by their coaches, right? That is really getting through anyway. I 100%, mean, they're, they're tired 100%. of it. We're all tired of it. <laughs> Let's, and we can in the in the spirit of flow, we can talk about the Elam ending. I mean, I love the audacity of that. Yeah. Um, and I'm. I've had Nick Elam on my show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm. You know, I'm willing to do it at the NIT. You know, pronto. Let's let's try it out. You know. Uh, yeah. But, definitely. Uh, but, you know, this business, of, and I've I've started uh, keeping track in 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 real time of how long the, how long the last minute of a close game takes to play. There's got to be a better way. Yeah, most definitely. We saw what the Elam ending did to the All-Star game. It was great. Who knows? Maybe college basketball. There you go. Man. That's All what right. the NFT is for. Let's try it. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, 
All right, last thing. I wanted to shift to Cade Cunningham because when I think of Cade Cunningham, I think of poise. He has the size and skill, but that's the word I think of. I think of poise, and I think he has the potential to be an NBA superstar. That's my opinion. What should college basketball fans be looking forward to when it comes to Cade Cunningham? Yeah, I agree fully with you on his NBA trajectory and what we will see. What I hope for as a uh well, as a guy paid to write about college basketball, first of all, but secondly, I mean, I, I watch college basketball more closely than I do the NBA. I don't get into these turf wars where I, I don't understand the college fan who says, oh, the NBA is terrible. I don't understand the NBA fan who says, oh, college, you know, it's such a low skill level. I, it, it's all basketball. Right. And, and I love both in different ways. But as a, as a college uh, watcher, what I do hope for Kate Cunningham is that he is in, and this is an impossible standard to set, but I hope that he is in the Zion Williamson tradition where during that one year when we get him, we do get to see, oh man, this, right. this is amazing. Look at this guy. Because, yeah. uh, you know, more often you get more of a Ben Simmons kind of experience where, yeah, you know, he's obviously got the physical tools, but there's, there's nothing that's got the whole country, you know, talking about this guy at the water cooler while he's at LSU, even though we can all intellectually, you know, register, yes, he's going to be an NBA stud. I want the full Zion. I want you know, somebody <laughs> who's going to come in, uh, you know, uh, Trey Young style, uh, you know, at, at the adjacent school in the same state. Uh, it's, it's very possible. You know, you don't have to be the guy at Duke or Kentucky to have everybody talking. Trey Young did it at OU. Uh, Kate Cunningham can do that at Oklahoma State. And I would love it. I, that would be fantastic. It would be wonderful to write about. It would be wonderful analytically to say, okay, here's where he rates, you know, on the, on the uh, pantheon of one, one and done freshmen. Um, yeah. That's what I'm itching for because the, the known part, yes, he's going to be uh, NBA. Yes. He's going to be fantastic in the, you know, four to six year trajectory. But in the here and now, that's what I want. That's what I, that's what I hope for every year uh, is, is the full Zion. So Cade, Go do it. I, I would love it. John Gasso, ESPN. Thank you for being here. Uh, go pre-order Miracles on the Hardwood. Uh, where can we find you on social media and everywhere else? Uh, I am at John Gassaway, and uh, you can find me at ESPN.com. Uh, I'm there pretty regularly. Great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Thank you to everyone who listens to Combo's Court across the globe. And big shouts to John for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, great review. Punch down on that subscribe button. Let me know how you feel about this episode by dropping a comment right on your Apple Podcast app. Would be great to hear from you. Be on the lookout for episode 217. Combo out.